It's a family united by our mutual, <clears throat> sorry, our mutual faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and so this time of year, this time that we call Advent, is a time where we continue to focus on Him and His coming. That's what Advent means. It means coming. And we celebrate the fact that He came as a human, not just a human, but a baby, a lowly, for the third time now, a lowly child. He humbled Himself to that and beyond that, as we, as we well know, and we'll talk about a little bit later. But before we get started today, I want to talk to you about what's going to be happening next week right after the service. Uh, ben Kane mentioned it a moment ago in the call to worship, in the announcement section. Uh, but once a year, we have something that we call our annual business meeting. Uh, that title is a little misleading because we do a lot more than just business uh, in that meeting. The business that we do do uh, is two things. We vote on the officers and the budget uh, for the coming year. Officers including elder and elders and financial representative. And so if you are a member of our church, we invite you to come to that meeting and vote. We want you to, uh, uh, to vote on that budget, on um, that ballot. Uh, you should have received in your email, if you're a member, you should have received in your email this week, uh, actually yesterday morning, a sample ballot. You don't have to print that off and bring it, but that's a chance for you to look at our ballot and our budget, just so that if you have any questions, come talk to me. Uh, talk to Rob, talk to Chris, talk to Jeff Lucht, uh, so that we can answer any questions uh, you have. We want you to be informed when you vote on, uh, on our ballot and, ballot and budget for the year to come. Uh, it's good to vote, bad to vote blind. So take a look at that, ask any questions you have. We'd love to, love to hear from you. Um, if you're not a member of our church, though, I want to say this is more than just a budget meeting, more than just a, a time for us to vote on officers and, and and our finances for 2022. This is a time for us to have some family conversation. It's particularly important, I think, right now for us to have some family conversation. <laughs> because I, the thing is, Be Free doesn't feel the way it did two years ago, right? It, uh, it's harder for us to be the family that we, that we have been for 15 years now. Uh, COVID uh, has made it more difficult. There's people online right now who are being more cautious. People are in different places. And so I think at this time it's particularly important that we come together to have some family conversations when we have the chance to do so. So, man, if this is your first Sunday with us at Be Free, or if you've been here since the very beginning, come to this meeting. Let's have those conversations, um, and let's try to figure out what does it look like for us to continue as a family, as dynamics continue to change and shift. Um, and the one thing I want to point your attention to on what we're going to be voting on uh, next Sunday is, uh, is who's up for elders this year. And, and if you look at your uh, ballot, you'll recognize that there's only one person uh, on the list, and that's Chris Kane. And that's because after five years of faithfully, faithfully serving our church, uh, Rob Oblinas is going to be taking a break from us. And it breaks my heart that we're not going to be able to meet together as elders continually, brother. But I want to say, just in front of everybody, we love Rob. Rob, we love you. We are so thankful for the years. That, yeah. Um, so, um, stepping down and uh, a well-earned break, brother. We love you. Yeah. All right. That's next Sunday, so please do come to that. We're going to have a chance to pray and thank Rob as well um, at that time. So, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. That's where we're going to be today, so go ahead and open up your Bible there. I'll have the passages up here on the screen, but I really encourage you, have it open in front of you so you can follow along 
Last Sunday, we started Advent in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And what we saw in that passage was Jesus' genealogy. We thought about who Jesus is by thinking about who Jesus came from, thinking about his forefathers, his lineage, and we saw how he is the last in a long line of people uh, from Abraham down through David, through even the exile until Jesus Christ himself. And we thought last week about how Jesus Christ is in himself the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to Abraham and to David. Today I am excited to focus our attention on the last man in that genealogy before Jesus, and that is the man, Joseph. Now, I think Joseph is the unsung hero of the Christmas story. I mean, when you think about Joseph, he's the only one that's normal uh, in in many ways, right? Like Joseph, uh, Mary has a divine conception. Uh, uh, Jesus is God. (laughs) He's he's the main character in that story, absolutely. There are these magi, these uh, mysterious gift-bearing men from over the hills and far away. There's, uh, There's angels, and then there's Joseph, a carpenter. He's a guy in construction. He is normal. And that's, I love that about Joseph. And I think that, you know, when we, when we think about the, jo- the, the Christmas story, we pass over him, except for when we come to this passage. In fact, this is the only passage in the Bible where Joseph takes center stage. But when we look at Joseph, there is something that we need to see. In fact, there's a lot of things that we need to see about Joseph. In this story specifically, what we see is that Joseph is a man of character who's put in a tough position who does what's right even though it's hard because he trusts in the plan of God. Let me say that again. Joseph is a man of character who's put in a tough position, who does what's right even though it's hard because he is a man who trusts in the good plan of God. And I can't wait to reintroduce you to Joseph today. I think together we can admire his faith, his obedience, his character, But more than that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can seek to imitate his faith. So let's pause, let's pray, and then let's turn our attention to the Word of God today. So bow with me now, and we'll turn to Matthew chapter 1. Father, I I could say this every Sunday. I do say this nearly every Sunday. I turn to your Word to look at the passage that we're going to look at expecting it to be hard to see uh, what we can do with this passage. But week after week, and this week included, Lord, you have surprised me by the beauty of this passage. And I ask that again today you would surprise us by it. That through me you would help us unpack your word. And Father, whatever your word says, we want to (laughs) do. Whatever your word says is true, Father. It's the authority. It is unerring. It is perfect. And we want to internalize it so that it can change us, so that we can obey it. And so, Father, open it up to us today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, open our minds, our hearts to receive it. And we pray, Father, that we would be changed by it. And, Father, that you would be glorified in the process through the lives that are changed to look more and more like the Son that, it, that is coming in this story. And so, God, we love you, we praise you, we give this time to you. Do your work, whatever you want, God, do it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, just these first two verses. Here we go. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. All right, let's get our bearings here, because this starts just with a simple story. The year is about zero, a couple years before that, actually, and we are in the town of Nazareth, and we meet two characters right off the bat, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, it says in this passage, are betrothed. That means they were promised to one another. They were engaged. And when we think about betrothal in this context, we don't think about just like two college kids making a promise to each other on the beach, right? This is a different type of thing. This isn't two love-struck young kids. This is rather two families entering into a legally binding contract. It's a very different thing. And in fact, the commitment of this relationship is very different as well. Already in this passage, what we see is that if, if, uh, if Joseph is referred to as her husband, right? Already here we see uh, that for this engagement to be called off, it's not just a, hey, here's your ring back. It's a divorce that's on, on the table here. Because in this context, at this point in the relationship, to be unfaithful to each other is tantamount to adultery. This is a serious relationship. And infidelity at this point would be a serious infringement on that relationship. And so it's that much bigger of an issue then when we read here that before they came together, that means came together in marriage and and all that entails, that she, Mary, was found to be with child, pregnant from the Holy Spirit. A serious conflict. (laughs) And you know, many of us know the story. Many of us know what's meant here when it says, by the Holy Spirit. But let's just for a minute here, step back and actually see this story from the perspective, or a couple different perspectives. First, let's see the story from the perspective of the community. Here is a young woman engaged to be married who is pregnant. The community knows one of two things has happened. Either she and her fiancé have been sleeping together, or she slept with someone else. Those are the only two options. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of any other ways, any other way that that could have happened. Frankly, virgins don't get pregnant. So there's one, well, that's, that's the community's perspective, but what about Joseph's perspective? Because Joseph knows that they haven't been sleeping together. There's only two perspectives that the community can see, but Joseph can only see one option here. Two minus one is one. Process of elimination. If Mary is pregnant and he knows they haven't slept together, then she's been sleeping with somebody else. That's crystal clear to him. And so we look at this passage, and we know what's happening. We know that that rationale doesn't play out in the story, but frankly, if somebody came to you today and said that they were pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd say, all right. We wouldn't believe it, and neither would he. And so we come to this passage understanding that Joseph, right from the beginning, knows, humanly speaking, there is only one option here, that Mary has been unfaithful to him. And now when we come to this passage, I mean... It doesn't tell us how he's feeling, but frankly, we don't have to guess. We can imagine how he's feeling. It's very easy to put ourselves in, in his shoes and think how we would be feeling if we found out that the person we were engaged to, promised to, was unfaithful to us. I mean, to put it mildly, he was probably angry. Uh, he certainly felt betrayed, right? We, we can be sure of that whether the passage says it, black and white or not. 
But the other way that we know he's probably feeling here is embarrassed. Because if Mary isn't pregnant and the only two options are it's him or someone else, only he and Mary know that it's not him. Everyone else is a little bit unsure. (laughs) Everybody else is probably wondering, is it Joseph though? I mean, I know he says it's not. So Joseph, at this point, he's living under suspicion. The suspicion of his community, and understandably so, because frankly, he is the most likely candidate. And so if I were Joseph here in this situation, I'd want to go public, right? I I know I'm innocent. I know that what's happening here, she was unfaithful to me. I'd want to be very loud about how I handled this and saying, it's her, it's not me. I'd want to quell those rumors by letting everybody know the truth of the situation. If the situation were flying, if people were whispering, I would want to tell everybody what was happening and be very loud about it to clear my name. But what does Joseph do? Verse 19, let me read it. He, this is what we read, verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. It's costly to be quiet here. For Joseph not to be loud here is for him to embrace the rumors, is for him to not crush the rumors about him and his character. It's in Joseph's own best interest to be loud, but he resolves to be quiet. It's in his own best interest to be very public, but he decides to handle it privately. And the, answer, the question that we have to answer, rather, is why? Why does he resolve to be quiet here and let the rumors continue to spread? The passage tells us why. Here's the answer. Because he was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Two reasons. He responds the way he does. Number one, because he's a just man. And number two, because he was unwilling to put her to shame. Let's just unpack those for a minute. Because let me tell you about a just man. Let me tell you about a just person. A just person is going to call right, right, and call wrong, wrong. Right? A just person is going to, uh, who's going to want everything praiseworthy to be praised and everything evil and wicked to be punished and fixed. That's justice. A just person wants that. A just person is going to take sin seriously. A just person is going to want righteousness and goodness upheld in the world. They're not going to want it brushed under the rug. We use this illustration a lot, but I think it's very clear. If we want a just judge in this world sitting on his bench. If somebody comes before him in his courtroom as a guilty murderer, without question, who killed somebody and is pleading guilty, he knows he did it, it would be unjust for that judge to say, don't, don't, don't do that again. It would be unjust. The family of the murdered person would say, no, I want justice. I want this to be handled. I want the good things upheld. I want the evil things, the wicked things in this world punished. I want them fixed to the degree that we're able. And Joseph here, he's a just man. And so as far as Joseph knows, she, Mary, has broken this, this agreement, this betrothal that they've been in. And so Joseph, in his justice, he's unwilling just to ignore it. He, he's going to take it seriously because he is just. He's not going to just act like it didn't happen. And so we see here that he does resolve to call off the wedding. 
he resolves to end that relationship. That's his justice in play. But there's more in play here than just his justice. He is a just man, but he is also unwilling to put her to shame. I love that word, unwilling. He couldn't bring himself to do it. Why? Well, what does it mean that he's unwilling to put her to shame? What that says about Joseph is that he is merciful. Joseph is not just just, he is also merciful. And mercy is not the opposite of justice here. It's, uh, mercy isn't what you get if you take all justice away. These two things, justice and mercy, they go together hand in hand, and we know this just by looking at our God, right? We look back to the book of Exodus, chapter 34, where God proclaims his name to Moses in verses 6 and 7. I'll put it up here on the screen. This is what God says of himself, seeing that he is a God of perfect justice and a God of perfect mercy. This is how he describes himself. He says that he is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But then it says this, but who will by no means clear the guilty? He's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice. And we see this throughout the entire history of his work in the world. After all, think about what he did. Our God is a God of justice who looks at humanity, who looks at the sins of the world, and is unwilling just to act like it's not happening. He's a God who promises that he will bring judgment upon the world. But in his mercy, he's also a God who says, I will send my son to take away the sins of the world. Perfect justice perfect mercy. He will judge all sin, but in his mercy, he will take it for us. He will bear the punishment for us in his son. Justice and mercy. That's what we see in God. That's what we see in Joseph. In fact, as we look at this passage, we might be able to say that Jesus's earthly father is a lot like his heavenly father. Just merciful, unwilling to ignore sin, but also unwilling to put Mary to shame. And again, we have to remember what this cost him. In refusing to quell the rumors, in refusing to be public, to be loud about this, in effect, what was Joseph doing? In effect, he was opting to share with Mary the reproach for her sin, wasn't he? He was deciding to bear with Mary the shame and the guilt in the eyes of the community alongside her, to bear that up with her. A little bit like how one day his adopted son would come to bear the reproach for our sin. In fact, when we look at Joseph, and this is just a summary of what we see of Joseph here, he is not only like God, just and merciful in that way, like God, but he's also like his son. Joseph is Christ-like, willingly, innocently, bearing sin out of mercy. I respect Joseph. In fact, if Christians had posters on their walls of their heroes that they would hope to imitate and seek to be like, I, I think I'd put Joseph on my wall. To imitate him as he imitated Christ. 
And so from the community's perspective, we see that there's really only two options here. Either Mary has been with Joseph or Mary has been with another man. From Joseph's perspective, there's only really one option. She was unfaithful and she was with another man. Now that was his conclusion given the information that he had, right? And with the information he had, he, she, sorry, he was righteous and honorable in his response, just and merciful. But therein lies the problem. Because Joseph didn't have all the information. We look at the story and we realize that he is a limited human being. He is like God in some ways, but he is not God. (laughs) He is not omniscient, meaning he doesn't know all things. He is operating under the understandable assumption that virgins don't find themselves to be pregnant. But from God's perspective, there is another option here. From the perspective of the one who made Mary's womb, there is another option here. The other option is that God has done something impossible. And when we look at this passage, that's exactly what we see, that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And guys, those words make all the difference. So jumping back in now to verse 20, we're going to see that Joseph gets the full story, and we're going to see how he responds. So join me there, Matthew 1, 20 through 23. But as he considered these things... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the message of the angel. Now Matthew is going to jump in and continue to explain. This is what he says. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And he translates that word for us, which means God with us. So without having all the information, Joseph responds with justice, right? And with, with mercy, at least to the, to the extent that he could understand with what, what was actually going on here. But now that he gets all the information, the, the angel comes and says to him, in effect, Joseph, you have to understand, Mary is innocent here. Mary has done nothing wrong. He says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And what that means, simply speaking, is that the baby in Mary's womb was not put there by Joseph. It was not put there by another man. It was put there by the power of God. God did the impossible here. That is what's actually going on here. And that changes everything. Because what that means for us is that this baby is not evidence of a betrayal. That this baby is actually the result of a miracle. That Matthew here pauses to explain more fully what that miracle is. It's not just a miracle. It's not just some other child. This is the fulfillment of promise. He points back to Isaiah chapter 7. He quotes it. He says this, All this took place to fulfill that the, what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Thankfully, Matthew knows Hebrew. Matthew translates that word. That name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Not only has Mary not sinned, but in Mary this prophecy is fulfilled. This child will be God with us. And frankly, if I were Joseph and, and uh, 
And I wouldn't have believed this message any other way than an angel showing up in my room. This is an unbelievable message because uh, by, by, by evidence of it just being a miracle, it, it breaks the fabric of nature. It goes beyond what is possible in this world, but we know that what's impossible for us is possible for God. With this message, we know this is no normal pregnancy from a normal union between a normal man and a normal woman. This is a baby put there by God, not a normal baby, but Emmanuel. He will truly be God with us. And this has been the plan of God for 700 plus years at this point. God is bringing it about. And so what does Joseph do? Well, Joseph responds in a way that fits the man of character that we have already seen him to be. So join me in the last two verses here, 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, these these are good words. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. <laughs> Guys, from what we've already seen about Joseph, what we've already learned about him, we are not surprised by the fact that he responds with humble obedience. That's the kind of man he's already shown himself to be. A man who fears God, who loves God, who's obe- who will be obedient to God because he is a man like God. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. It says, he took his wife. That just means he married her. And then it goes on to say that he knew her not, meaning that they did not consummate that marriage. They did not have sex until Jesus came, showing that this is not just the virgin conception, but the virgin birth. No doubt here, Jesus was the result of a miracle. He also called his name Jesus, because that's the other thing that the angel called him to do to name him this name, a name that we're going to unpack in just a minute here. (laughs) But I think that one of the reasons why I like Joseph, again, at the end here, is that I can relate to Joseph. Like Joseph, I'm an ordinary person. You and I, we are normal people. I'm not divine like Jesus. I'm not the recipient of some supernatural power like Mary. I don't radiate with divine glory like an angel. I'm not nearly as interesting as wise men, Magi. I, you, we, we're normal people. We're ordinary. Some of us are even in construction. And so we can relate to Joseph. I like Joseph because he is like us. Yet in this passage, what we see is that God works through an ordinary, godly man. God works through the ordinary godly obedience of an ordinary man in order that he might play a necessary role in God's extraordinary plan. And I think that this is what we have to recognize about Joseph as we think about what do we take from all this? How does this affect the way that we live as God's people today? What I want to notice and I want us to think about for a minute here is before Joseph obediently did what God called him to do, Joseph was already being the kind of man that God called him to be. Let me say that again. Before Joseph did what God called him to do, he was already being the man that God called him to be. Before he took Mary to be his wife and raised Jesus as his adopted son, 
Joseph was already living in a godly way. He was already being just. He was already being merciful. He was already being obedient in the ordinary things. And this is important. The order is important. Because this is something that we need to remember as ordinary people who long to be used by God to help accomplish his extraordinary plans. And I'm stealing this from the author and speaker Jen Wilkin here. This is what she says, and this is what we need to take from this passage as well with Joseph, is that before we ever ask, God, what do you want me to do? We first have to ask the question, God, who do you want me to be? Before we ever ask, God, what are you calling me to do? We should ask the question, God, who are you calling me to be? Because Christians, if you are a Christian in this room today, believe it or not, your first mission as a man or woman of God is not to be a missionary. It is not to be a discipler. It is not to be a teacher. It's not to go to a certain place and do a certain thing. It's not even to bring up godly kids, to win your neighbors, to do acts of mercy, and to change the world. That is not the first thing God calls you to do. The first thing God calls you to do is be his, to follow him, to trust him, to seek your God and walk faithfully with him, to submit to what he says in his word in black and in white, to seek intimacy with him through prayer, to confess your sins to him, to listen to his proddings and his nudges and his convictions, to honor him as the Lord and master over your life, to obey him in the small things, and that when he calls you to do something not so small, when he calls you to do anything, you will obey. So yes, ask the question, God, what do you call me to do? Where do you call me to go? What is your will? What is your plan? Where are you leading? But never ask that question if you've not first sought and strived day after day with all the might that the Spirit of God has put in you to be a man or a woman of God. That's who he's called you to be. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. <laughs> After all, when Christians seek to do things for God without first seeking to be people of God, the results can be catastrophic. I mean, you just think about stories of famous, recently famous men who were seemed to be used by God in powerful ways, who were doing amazing things, it seemed, for the Lord only for us to find later that they were not being people of God. When that happens, it not only casts suspicion on the God that they preached, it earns him a bad reputation. And for many people, it seems to hint at the fact that their message wasn't true in the first place. Think about the damage it can do for the kingdom of God when we seek to do things for the Lord without being his. Our job is to be godly before we ever seek to do God's work. And we can imitate Joseph in this way. Be a man or woman of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting in him, reading his word, seeking him in prayer, gathering with his people, humbly growing in faith. These are ordinary things, but they are powerful. Majestic. 
And there's one more thing here at the end that the angel commanded Joseph, that Joseph ended up obeying, that I skipped over here, but I want to return to it now as we transition uh, towards communion. Because the angel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus for, (laughs) that gives us the reason, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now what does that mean? Call his name Jesus for because he's going to save his people from their sins? Well, this is something that actually is new information to me, but I think it's pretty cool. I want to share it with you. Jesus is just the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. Yesu, Yeshua. It's the same name, just translated from, from Hebrew to, to Greek. In fact, actually, we see uh, four people named Jesus in the New Testament. It was a common name, named after the Joshua of the Old Testament. And now when we think about that name, Joshua, Yeshua, it comes from two Hebrew words, Yah, which means Lord, as in Yahweh, and Yasha, which means to rescue, which means to save. Jesus' name means the Lord saves. That's what his name means. And when we come to this passage and we read the angel say, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, Joseph, as a Hebrew speaker, would have understood this. You shall call his name the Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And if you're here today checking out Christianity, um, maybe seeking an answer to the question, who is Jesus and what did Jesus do? I want to say you came on the perfect week (laughs) because both of those questions are answered in this passage. In fact, both of those questions are answered in the two titles given to this baby. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Well, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. We believe, we truly believe that this man, Jesus, is God in the flesh. He came to live among us, fully God and fully man. That is who he is. And what did Jesus come to do? Well, we see that in his other name. His name, the Lord saves. Jesus came to save. He came to save us from the sin, the brokenness, the guilt within us. He didn't just live among us. He came to save us. For he will save the people from their sins. What he did was he lived the perfect life. He took our sin. He took our guilt, our shame. He took the brokenness that, let's just face it, is in every single one of us. Receiving then the punishment for our sins when he died on the cross. And then winning the victory over the grave when he rose again. In three days. The one named the Lord saved saves us from our sins. And that salvation is offered freely to us purely by faith. Purely by believing that his work on the cross is enough to wipe away all your sin, all your guilt, all your shame. That's what we call the gospel, the good news. I can't think of better news than that.